Welcome to Education Conversations, where educators talk about the most important issues facing education. Our mission is to ignite your mission through the exploration of difficult and relevant topics. We come together to talk, open ourselves to new ideas, and to move closer together as people. Hi, everybody. It's the end of our season. As, uh, we, we wrap up this podcast for this year. Uh, for this academic year, because we're professors, that's the way we think about things. But Corey Thompson's here with me today, and we really wanted to just wrap up our conversations that we've had this year, kind of reviewing where we began and who we got to hear from, uh, who we didn't get to hear from, and uh, you know maybe perhaps some thoughts about where we might go next with this work. Um, but you know, one of the things I'm going to begin with, Corey, is that as we were sort of planning out. How do we want to expose uh, people in this conversation to new ideas and new people? We went out and found some pretty unique people um, to come in and contribute this this year uh, to, or to this season. And one of the things that I'm most struck by is that both you and I tried to, to uh, get somebody in here who maybe had uh, an opinion different from ours. Maybe somebody who thought uh, critical race theory shouldn't be taught in a, in a school setting and to invite them to be part of the podcast, and uh, neither of us was successful in that endeavor. And I, I'm not sure why. I, I, I don't know if you have an idea about, you know, or heard from any of them, if any of them actively refused you, but I didn't hear back from anybody that I requested to do this with. No, Joseph, uh, I as well did not hear back from anybody. Uh, as you know, I reached out to uh, two individuals in particular, and uh, did not get a response at all. I, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Um, I know that there is another side. Certainly we have seen it in the news. We've seen it play itself out in um, school boards uh, across this country. And uh, if you're out there, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, but I, I don't know what has led to that silence because certainly um, those voices have been loud. and. Um, I, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, it, 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 it's glaring, though, um, when you present an academic idea to people um, that, you know, uh, that they not be able to hear the other side of the issue, uh, to me, seems to be pulling up short as a teacher. And I, I really wished we could have, you know, provided that. But when you and I first began this endeavor, we really thought we wanted people to hear from us about who we were. Like, what motivated us in doing this work? What was Cardinal Stritch all about? And maybe there were some students out there that might want to consider being a part of the program if they understood who we were. And I think it sort of evolved very quickly into, um, you know, a couple of uh, colleagues who thought we had to take on this conversation around uh, race and lead in this discussion because of what was going on in the news. Yes, and, you know, one of the things that I have, Appreciated about our time together is us taking the time to tackle uh, what can be a controversial yet important issue and really being respectful and, and listening uh, to each other as well as the individuals that we've brought up on the program. We certainly hope to go deeper into those conversations and other conversations. And I, I think, uh, as, as in terms of next year and moving forward, and I think one of the things we'll want to try to do, I know, is to uh, you know, sometimes we always say moving from theory to practice, and so uh, I think we did hear from certainly practitioners, and we heard from people who had, who had studied theory, and 
Now let's see what does it look like day to day um, in our, throughout our schools in the greater Milwaukee area. Yeah, and, you know, we, we've had the opportunity to, um, you know, to hear from uh, white people, from black people, from younger people. Uh, my voice tracks a lot better than yours does for some reason on this program. But, um, you know, uh, we, we, we've really been um, intentional in bringing in different generations. And I think that that multi-generational perspective also for us this season, you know, hearing from a John Hayden who's 93, who goes back at 83 and starts taking classes in Africology at UWM, and, um, you know, the perspective that he brought, the history that he brought, the new learning that he did to get to the point of writing a book, um, you know, and, and his, his major contribution in my mind to the podcast was his, his personal interest in making life better for people that he cared about. You know, that, that, that's what he brought. That's why he did all of that, was his exposure to a group of people and caring about how life was going uh, in, in Milwaukee and, and you know, um, outside of a community where he had great comfort. Yeah, that was a remarkable story, and, and I count it a, a blessing and a privilege to call him a, a friend now, and I've had the opportunity to... Uh, to moderate a, a, a book talk that he did at UWM, a book signing, and uh, to just watch him speak so passionately about the journey that he's on, still on, at age 93. There's something for all of us in that. And another person that I thought was really remarkable was uh, Melissa Santa Cruz. Here's a young woman who is uh, in the trenches daily, and uh, if you recall that particular podcast, there were several individuals on there. All of them were, were very impressive. But I asked the question, you know, how is it that you all have chosen to use your white privilege for good? And, and you know, sometimes you hear those terms, right, like critical race theory and white privilege and entitlement. And none of those three individuals, none of them, um, none of them bristled. None of them rolled their eyes. Uh, they embraced it. And I, I was really, you know, uh, just really in, in, in great honor and respect for you know, Lisa Dawes and Rob Harrington and the work that the three of them, uh, that they've been doing. And, and you know, I look forward to furthering that conversation, especially with those who are with young people on a daily basis. You know, we joked before about, um, you know, Melissa being willing to roll her sleeves up a little further. You're like, she, not, not running away from a tough conversation, but she just might roll her sleeves up a little further. And, and, and throughout her career, Lisa Dawes did that, you know, in a white community, brought a difficult conversation to bear. Um, and Rob Harrington and working with kids, doing the same thing. Uh, you know, I, I thought he and I might have to arm wrestle over whether he was an educator or not. He is, he is without a question, Absolutely. a very thoughtful educator in, in looking at how it is that he works with kids and how he's more than just where does the ball go. That's right. he's, he's about how do our interactions go and what can I teach you about being good people. And that, that, that part for me makes him an educator, no question. But, um, you know, one of the things that I think people like Melissa and Rob and, and Lisa have to teach all of us is about the resilience that they have in this conversation. Because earlier you and I were talking about, um, you know, some of the difficulties, you know, of, of these conversations, the, where the rubber hits the road in the schools where kids are incredibly troubled 
um, you know, where, where we're having trouble pe getting people to teach there or, um, you know, uh, out, in, out in the white community where there are people who won't even engage in the conversation around racism, they shut down immediately. Um, that's, that's really, so how do you find people who are, you know, resilient enough to persist in an environment where the social problems are really tough? And, and those are two examples of the opposite side of the coin, maybe in, in both worlds, but those are, those are tough scenarios. Absolutely. And I'm thinking back to the podcast we did with uh, Dr. Mark Hilgendorf. And yeah, I, I'll never forget, somewhere during that podcast, Joseph, you said to him, why aren't you in front of school boards? <laughs> you know, uh, you know you, you, what you are doing, um, that information needs to be present in, in front of those who are uh, in charge of, of schools. And so, you know, what this gentleman has accomplished here in the North Shore area and to hear about the work that he's doing and knowing that here is a white male with a doctorate in African-American studies who has intentionally chosen to have an institute designed to teach about African-American studies and his audience, who I think he talked to about was, you know, roughly in their 50s, 60s, 70s, perhaps, uh, just soaking it up. And I don't think we can afford for another generation to go that long into their 60s or 70s and say, I've never heard this information before. No, and you made that, you made that point to um, John Hayden uh, when he was talking about, you know, you know, we asked him the question about what do you do with this next? And, and he's like, well, that's our work. That's what we have to do. And you said, I don't think we can wait for people to retire, have volunteer experiences right. into their 80s and then, you know, discover school and write a book. Um, you know, part of what motivated us in this in this podcast was just this absolute missing voice in opposition to these people who are screaming CRT is the problem. Um, you know, that, that there is no racism anymore. We made laws for this in the 1960s. Racism is gone. We even elected a black president. Um, you know, now and, we have a black mayor and, and a black. I think I think if I'm not mistaken, black sheriff, black mayor. Black district attorney, uh, black county executive. I mean, most of the major positions in Milwaukee, for the very first time, there's a, there's a palpable presence of black leadership in the city of Milwaukee, and it's it's interesting. Um, one of one of our associates, uh, uh, Thelma Sias, uh, was was on in a phone conversation with me, and we were talking about. Um, you know, the leadership in Milwaukee being all black and somebody asked her, you know, what she thought about it. And she said, what, what did I think about it when it was all white for all those years? You know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to now have some people who, um, you know, can reach out and who have a different understanding of culture and community than maybe some of the people for, what has it been, the last 18 years that we've had um, Mayor Barrett, who's not a bad leader by any stretch. I don't mean to represent that, but I just think it's a good opportunity for us at this moment to have some new leadership. Um, well, speaking of new leadership, how about the the panel that we had with the African American male principals? Uh, I mean, talk about some up and coming young men. Uh, what what a fresh voice it was to hear from Walter Cullen Jr. and Will Holloway and, and Mr. Ernie D. Uh, these folks are uh, have been or are in the trenches, and, and we talked about. Does it look differently in schools that are predominantly of color? And it was exciting to hear from these young men and what they're up against daily. No, and one of the questions you and I started with, you know, in contemplating uh, 
the notion of schools and, and anti-racism um, was, is it as important to do in a black school as it is in a white school? And you heard Will Holloway say pretty clearly that day, absolutely it's necessary. Um, you know, part of, part of it is human relations, perhaps, but relationships building and, and all of that. And breaking down barriers that cause fear and cause, uh, you know, us to stay away from one another. That's, that's a huge part of this picture. But what I thought you were going to go into was, um, speaking of, of new black leaders, was uh, Ketanji Brown and her confirmation as, as a Supreme Court justice and the holy cow path that woman had to go through um, to get to that seat um, when having just been uh, recently confirmed a federal judge now has to go back through it to become a Supreme Court judge and has all these questions, you know, thrown at her. And it's interesting. They asked her all kinds of questions, Corey, about CRT and schools and, and that kind of stuff. And um, they didn't ask those same questions of uh, Amy Coney Barrett. And I, I'm just curious if you, you have an idea about why it would be they'd ask Adonji Brown and not Coney Barrett. Um, well, how much time do we have? <laughs> it's, a, but it, it's, a, it's blatant racism on the national stage, but nobody would call it that, right? I mean, that's the, I'm, I'm setting Corey up, uh, of course, but you know, my, my upset in that moment of hearing these questions where she's being grilled about CRT at the school that she's um, you know, on, the, on the school board for, when did they ask Amy Coney Barrett any of her thoughts on racism at all? Nothing. Um, you know, they asked her all kinds of other questions and, and, you know, wanted to celebrate her background. But why aren't we celebrating that there is a Supreme Court justice who sits on a school board? You know, yeah. instead, we're grilling her about what that school does for its practice. When, if she is a good school board member, she is doing policy governance, not micromanagement. She wouldn't know what they have on their bookshelves. But nobody pointed that out to congressmen because they know everything. Um, but, you know, so... Walter Collin Jr. and uh, Ernie D. and Will Holloway coming that day really was the first time that we got a view inside of school administration um, from, from African-American leaders. And, and really, they gave us a good picture of, um, you know, what, what the future holds that way. Absolutely. And another uh, key point in, in this series for me, Joseph, was the fact that it's pretty clear that the, the ideas that we're talking about throughout this podcast aren't just relevant in the United States of America. Mm. And during this podcast series, you know, I traveled abroad and I came back with my aha and in terms of what had happened in, in the world and the war in Ukraine and then watching folks of color being uh, pushed off or denied entrance onto a train and realizing that this isn't just... In a, Ukraine, right? You're, correct. And... You know, this isn't just something that is an American problem. And then your friend uh, north of the border in Canada and just hearing the parallels in terms of what's happened up there in schools. Uh, this is an issue that, uh, yeah, we quite frankly, we can't wait for the next generation to retire. We can't just wait for somebody to have a aha moment. And there's nothing wrong with those aha moments because those led John Hayden to action. And, and those, those moments are what uh, propel uh, the, the Harringtons and the Santa Cruz and the Dawes, you know, to continue their work. But uh, we need to hear from folks like uh, your friend up in, in Canada. Well, it was, you know, you all, all season long, you've talked about intentionality, intentionality. 
the one thing that was remarkable about his leadership in the Canadian school system was the intentionality that he had in trying to build a culture that crossed boundaries and how he saw that that was really necessary um, in order to operate a good school. And we had some technical difficulties that day and we lost half of our segment with him. Um, and, and during that segment, really, he talked quite a bit about the history of schooling in Canada, talked about those um, the, the schools where they would take the indigenous people uh, to, to sort of um, acclimate them to a white society and how they were finding bodies of kids buried outside of those schools and graveyards. You know, it's not just us, for sure, but it is most importantly us because we live here and we have to make uh, things different. One, one of the things that Corey and I were talking about before we started uh, recording today is, you know, this notion of, uh, we've talked a lot about being anti-racist and, you know, versus races, racist as if this were a dichotomy and perhaps it's more of a spectrum um, than, than we've explored previously. But one of the things I've discovered is sort of an intellectual disconnect between the, the, the being called a racist and, you know, me wanting to be an anti-racist but not knowing how to put it into action or being afraid to put it into action. I mean, have you, have you experienced this with your students as you've gone through teaching? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that you, you talked about a spectrum. You know, one of the things in my diversity course I introduced to the students is this cultural proficiency spectrum. And we start the semester by saying, you know, I, I don't even know you as students, but I'm going to trust that you are not culturally destructive. I mean, culturally destructive would be, you know, mindsets of the Klan, the neo-Nazis, I'm, I'm going to take a, a guess that you are not at that spot. And we're going to start wherever you are, and the idea is to move you to become the most culturally proficient educator that you can be, but understanding that cultural proficiency is not a destination, it's a journey. And so I just want to move you along that spectrum so that you can be the best teacher that you can be for all kids. And I think that's what a part of this podcast was about. It's like, how can we tap into those individuals who are doing the work, who are walking the talk, who are trying to make the, the, the um, they're trying to close that disconnect between what their head believes and what their heart wants to do and what their feet and hands maybe don't know how to do. Well, and, you know, there's a, a, a fear sometimes, I think, among especially white people that I don't, I am bumbling. I'm going to screw something up, and I don't either I'm gonna want say, to. I'm going to say something offensive. You got it. Right. And, and, and so I don't want to do that. But, you know, I also don't want to have to do all the work because one, the one thing in your intentionality and in these conversations with all these educators, there was a lot of work. Yeah. These were people who put their feet on the path and did hard work and understood they might screw up, they might say the wrong thing, and were willing to do that in relationship to bring about a different world. But there are going to be some people out there who really don't want to engage with that major donor in their organization who's saying racist things because now I might lose the money. And that seems to me to be maybe the next point of attack for us is how do you how do we get there to be able to have this conversation without wrecking relationships, without shaming people, without whatever. And let me just add to that, Joseph, by saying how do, how do we help people stay the course? I mean, this heavy lifting, that was the thing, that was the commonality of all these guests that we talked to this year. All of them, despite the heavy, despite the heavy lifting, 
they were staying the course. And so what attributes does it take to stay the course when you're, when you're the only one who speaks up, when you get uh, hit from the left or right, or if within your own family you're shunned? I remember asking uh, John Hayden, like, what, you know, what does your family think of you? <laughs> you know, to, I can't even fathom going back to school at age 70 and taking on what he did. And he talked about how his, how his family uh, fully supported him. I had the pleasure of meeting his daughter at the book talk. And um, you could just see the, the love and compassion. So how do we help people stay the course in what is, can be a very uncomfortable conversation? I think that's something that I turned you on to, this uh, Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Mm -hmm. You want to share from, from that series and what that's meant to you and how you see it intersecting with this work? Well, in, in case you haven't come across it, this is Emmanuel Ocho and his um, his his uh, podcast. It's a video podcast, I guess. He does these short segments where he talks with folks um, about uh, issues of race and racism and, you know, part of, part of what's amazing about him as a human being is he doesn't have a hard time asking hard questions. And, and he can quickly say, listen, I care about you, but if we're going to get anywhere, we're going to go, we're going to, go to, the, to the center of the matter. And so, you know, I watched him do that with white parents that had black children. I've watched him do that with celebrities. I've watched him do that with police forces. Um, you know, if you have an opportunity, I mean, he really does push the conversation along. Um, and, and, and I think he responds to challenge rather well. You know, he, he can look at who he is and he can examine what he believes. And, um, you know, I think that that's an interesting thing. But I think it is also interesting that um, when you are a John Hayden or you're a Mar Mark Hilgendorf, um, you know, people who've built this expertise um, around um, understanding their whiteness, their privilege, and a history of another people, they get questions from white people that you'd never hear, Corey. You know, and uh, John called me after our podcast because he left with, um, you know, some, some things that he uh, presented then later in a book talk uh, to a group of people, and he got challenged, and he said, can you help me you know, where, where, where can I find? And so I gave him some resources, but they were absolutely challenging um, his position on racism with regard to a statement that he made. And he was absolutely right. He, he presented it all the correct way, but a white person can come in and challenge a white person on this issue very differently than they would do if it was a room full of black people. You know, so um, how, do you, how do you stand in when it's your tribe yeah. that's looking at you and yeah. saying, you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> yes, you know? Yes. Um, and that's maybe what I finally find most compelling about, you know, their stories. I mean, after I challenged Mark Hilgendorf by saying, you know, why aren't you in front of school boards? We got done with the podcast and he said, sounds like we've got some places to visit, you know, like here we go. And that's really what was compelling for him. What do you think about directions for where we need to explore next? You know, uh, all of these individuals that we spoke to worked with or work with young people on a daily basis. And I don't know what that would look like, but I would certainly love to hear from the young people, uh, you, know, you know, without being too cliche, I mean, they are the next generation, but, you know, if they're going through high schools and, and they're going through, if they're going through segregated experiences, 
you know, we talked about potentially having some kind of book clubs or discussion between kids from different backgrounds. I, I really would love to, and maybe maybe these individuals come in with some of uh, some of their teachers, some of the people that we had on this year. Maybe they come back. You know, I'd love to hear from kids from uh, Lesmer Preparatory Academy or from uh, Bayview High School or even MSOE. And if you recall, when I talked to uh, Coach Harrington on that podcast, I said, you know, again, I I love, you know, the the image of you and him wrestling over the idea of whether or not he's an educator. Absolutely he is. And if you recall, I pointed out there are several things that you have done that don't even relate to teaching soccer or, or, or winning a soccer game that shows me that you're on the path, you know? And, and so I would love to talk to some of those individuals on his team and, and find out, you know, how has he helped shape you as a human being, as a man? And, you know, I remember asking the question of that particular group, you know, what should people be reading? And I was just fascinated by some of the the brain research that clearly was very important to Coach Harrington and and as well as all the other titles that were shared with us. But that's the direction I think I'd like to go. I'd like to talk to, you know, if you think about a ripple effect, we have these folks on and then the, the, the young people that they impact directly, what impact is happening in their lives? Yeah, and, and I would really love to explore in a deeper way um, some of the concepts around um, racism and capitalism historically, um, you know, and exploitation of labor and the, the key role that racism has played in a capitalist system. Um, because I think that there's, you know, um, Americans have been trained to be enamored by the capitalist system. And while it might be better than what else there is, which is often the, you know, rhetoric around capitalism, it's not good enough yet if it's exploiting people. And so how do we explore, you know, uh, that notion might be an interesting avenue to go down. I would love to also hear from kids and their notion about how it is that they encounter one another. Um, How do you have white people in your life? How do you have black people in your life? I'd love to reach out to the suburbs and, you know, grab onto a few kids who wanted to talk on the podcast about um, the interactions and intentionality they have about having friends who are people of color. you know, it might, be, it might be interesting to hear from some kids who live in a white community uh, as people of color and, and, and how they experience that. I, I think I've, I've shared this story uh, so much, I'm not sure if I shared it on the podcast before, but um, my sons have uh, a couple of African-American friends, uh, young men, who have been to my house, and every time my dog goes bananas. And finally, one of the last times, one of their friends, Gregory, said to me, Mr. Moylan, you have to have more black kids come over to your house because your dog obviously doesn't recognize who I am. Um, and, and, but there's a part of me that went, he's, he's right. You know, this is probably a, a truth. Um, but, you know, what's, what's it like for them? Because everywhere they go, they live in a different world. And to hear from them about that. I also think um, that we really have to explore this notion that white people get exhausted by having the conversation on the table. You know, that they, they quickly, you know, why do we got to talk about this all the time? Why do we have to explore this all the time? And if the world were better in its behavior, we wouldn't. Right. But, but, you know, how do we explain that to people who have, you know, blinders on? And how do we take those blinders off of people who, who aren't seeing what's right in front of their face? 
Absolutely. There is a book called The Power of Their Dreams, I believe. Deborah Meyer. And Deborah Meyer has created some fabulous schools with intentionality. And I visited one of them, Central Park East Elementary School. And I, I would like to, since we're about preparing educational leaders, I would like to find places of intentionality. Uh, I, I think that's part of that next step. You know, we have these individuals who certainly can have an impact, but there's got to be schools or organizations. Um, certainly, you and I were part of a, a conversation with an organization in town that was looking to um, to do some some uh, DEI work, and and just as I said to you prior to this podcast, as long as it doesn't mean we're creating another committee. I'm all in. And so, you know, we haven't heard from that group uh, in a while, but I, I'd like to find some organizations who are living it. And and I don't just want to check the boxes. We've talked about that. You know, it's not good enough to have a committee on DEI. Everybody, that seems to be post-George post Floyd, the thing to do. But who, who is living it out in terms of an organizational capacity? And in our particular world, schools, who is doing that work, whether it be suburban schools, rural schools, or, or urban schools, who is doing that important work? Let's have them on so that we can perhaps learn from them and replicate when necessary. It might be um, interesting for you and I to do some school observations and to go in and look at some of the schools we were talking about before that have huge social issues um, and kids who are coming to school carrying the weight of historic racism, of poverty, of you know family issues, of maybe drugs and alcohol or whatever, whatever the pile up is that they walk in with, uh, you know, in the sack on their back um, every day. But to go into those schools and you know sort of sort of immerse ourselves for for some period of time, it might be worth a study uh, on our part. But but really looking at how do you create success in those environments as a leader because it's a really hard place to lead and people burn out there, um, to find some people who have persisted to build the path to success, that sort of thing, I think would really be an interesting study for us and, and something that hasn't really been uh, looked at much before. But I'm really proud of the work we did this year and I hope that those listening to this episode say to their friends who are educators, listen to this, listen to what people are doing, listen to white educators, listen to black educators, listen to Canadian educators, you know, um, we have already some people booked for next year um, who've agreed to be part of our conversations. Um, you know, we've certainly encountered some people who are afraid to be in this conversation with us, but we found some people who are knocking down the door asking to be part of this conversation. So I hope next year to bring uh, some people to the podcast that will, you know, continue to help shape this picture of how do we close these gaps and, and become more action-oriented in, in our anti-racist efforts. And I just want to add, Joseph, and, and hopefully you will share uh, as well, for myself, you know, where do we go from here? I mean, our, our next podcast won't occur until the fall semester. However, we know that the work continues, and it doesn't just wait for a Friday afternoon. And so one of the things I had shared with, with Joseph uh, prior to us taping today is that as the uh, department chair for the Master's in Educational Leadership Program here at Cardinal Stritch, I am going to, I've already scheduled to have a Zoom 
at the beginning of the school year for all the students who are in the uh, the MEL program. Uh, in addition, in addition to that that idea of of intentionality, another one of my favorite uh, uh, colloquialisms, if you will, would be the idea of, of no excuses. You know that if we give you the resources, we give you the knowledge, we give you the opportunity. Uh, no matter what the context, that there could be no excuses, that there should be no excuses. And so I, I want to provide the opportunity for our future uh, master's students to, to, to hear from some of these individuals. So in August, I'll be having a, a, a Zoom interview with one of our guests, and I hope to make that a regular part of what I do for Mel. I wonder if you would just wanted to take a minute to talk about the, um, the doctoral uh, Institute and the the um, panel that you're putting together. So every every summer, students are required as part of their doctoral studies to uh, come to a summer institute, and it's really an intensive experience meant to focus um, on a couple of things. And our themes are creativity and innovation in those two years, and we alternate the years. This year's creativity, but our conversation with the panel that we're putting together—that's both white people and black people—is um, is. is to ask the question about how do you be creative as a leader in addressing issues of race in your environment? You know, what is what is uh, the courage, but also how do you make it different? Because Corey talks about not wanting another committee. It's got to be different than a committee today, folks. And uh, DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts have to look different than they have in the past, which was more of an intellectual exercise. They have to be more experiential. And so... We're really looking for, if there are people who are hearing this, you know, that want to participate, we're looking for more opportunities to connect out into the world uh, where the work is happening and to really uh, put a, a spotlight on, on what people are doing in the Milwaukee area. Well, thanks so much for uh, listening this season. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope that you get an opportunity to get others to listen in and become fans of Education Conversations. Um, you know, it's interesting that I, Corey, this last week had um, an administrator in a school district where my kids go to school uh, tell me that he brought up to the, his new superintendent, who's just going to be starting out, that job number one was uh, to get after uh, racism in their school. Wow. And I can't think of anything, you know, more than we can contribute than to, you know, bring that to front of mind for uh, so many people out there. So um, we hope that we've giving you something to think about and chew on and uh, would love to hear from you. If you want to drop us an email at Cardinal Stritch, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, uh, thanks for tuning in this season. We appreciated having you. Thank you. You've been listening to Education Conversation with Corey Thompson and Joseph Moylan. Please leave us a comment about the questions you have or thoughts about future episodes for us on Anchor. Thank you for listening.